welcome uh, to Adopting Product-Led Growth in 2021. I'm Arun Mukumuf, the CEO of Crowdlinker and the host of this panel. Thanks uh, for joining. Uh, Crowdlinker is a digital product studio based out of Toronto, Canada. We work with uh, disruptive companies around the world to, bid, to build category-leading digital products. Uh, over the last eight years, we have partnered with companies like Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, FreshBooks, Shopify, and many others uh, to help discover, design, and develop software. Uh, today, I'm here with Sandy Mangat and Joel Emery to discuss their journey of implementing PLG, aka product-led growth at Charlie AI. Um, the guests that I have on the show today have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share with all of you today about getting started with PLG, overcoming obstacles that have come along the way in their journey, as well as the team dynamic and structure which helped them succeed along the way. Uh, before we start and get into the questions that we have uh, for our guests today, just a few quick few sorry a quick few housekeeping items to get out of the way. Uh, one is that we'll be uh, sharing the recording after event to all the people who registered. Uh, so if you have to drop off at any point, you know, if you did register, you will be getting a copy of this recording. Uh, and then we have a Q&A period that we're going to have uh, in the webinar. Um, you can start putting your questions at any time along the way into the Q&A area of the Zoom webinar, but the official Q&A won't start until the 40-minute mark. And then at the end of the webinar, uh, we'll be sending out a survey. Uh, so please remember to participate as we want to get some feedback from all of our attendees in terms of what we could do next time. Now, with those housekeeping items out of the way, let's uh, dive in uh, and uh, go into the questions. Uh, so, Joel, Sandy, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, let's maybe just start off with some introductions. If you could tell the audience that uh, is, is on the webinar today in terms of uh, who you are, your background, and your roles at Charlie AI. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll take the first stab at this. Uh, so I'm Sandy Mangat. I lead growth and marketing at Charlie AI, and I've spent most of my career in tech um, as a product marketer uh, working for B2B SaaS companies, um, ranging from companies that do software for uh, industrial systems to companies that do software for smart buildings. Um, so I spend a lot of time in that enterprise space. Um, at Charlie Growth and Marketing, uh, what I'm responsible for, if I could break it down, is uh, getting users to try and love Charlie and then tell their friends about Charlie. And so really understanding how our product grows and how to get more people to uh, see it and use it and love it. Awesome. Thank you, Sandy. Joel, how about you? Awesome. And I'm, I'm uh, Joel Emery. Good morning. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm the Chief Product Officer at uh, Charlie AI. I've been uh, in the trenches, as you said, around for uh, over 25 years uh, in the software industry, mostly in product development roles, uh, whether it's product management or leading uh, large engineering teams uh, around the world. And, uh, and also now at uh, Charlie, um, the way I like to look at it, as opposed to simply a product management role, is more of the responsibility to close the gap between what our company vision is and the perceived value of our product by our users. That's, that's my focus at Charlie. Super, thanks, thanks for that. Um, I'm gonna actually start off with probably the most important question. I'm gonna kick it off right into that realm uh, from the get-go. Um, so on, 
you know, you guys have very um, important roles in your organizations. One is on very product uh, focus with you, Joel, and then on the growth side and uh, with you, Sandy. So I want to ask you both just off the bat, what is product-led growth and what is it not? Great question to start off with. Uh, so product-led growth, um, you may have heard it quite a bit recently. It's become a little bit of a buzzword and I think people may be starting to lose sight of what it actually is. Um, but first and foremost, it's a go-to-market motion. Um, so it's a different way to go to market that puts product as the primary channel for how you go to market. So the product is responsible for helping you attract and acquire and retain your users, as well as you know the expansion opportunities that come with that, those are all driven by product. Um, and I like to think of your product in the product-led motion as like your sales development rep or your SDR at scale. So think of your product as now doing the job of an SDR. Um, that doesn't mean that you won't have SDRs. It just means they will have a slightly different place in your in your go to market. Um, I think the common misconception um, around product led growth is that if you have a free version of your product or you have a free trial, that you're all of a sudden product led. Um, but I don't think that's covering it because if you're not utilizing that freemium or free trial as part of a larger go-to-market strategy that places product and, and user centricity at its center, then um, you know, you're not really product-led, you're just an imposter. Awesome, yeah, great, great explanation. Thank you, Sandy. Um, yeah, and I, I would add to you, this, uh, yeah, I, want, I wanted to add that uh, PLG is also, uh, it's an evolution of a go-to-market uh, uh, approach. And uh, that evolution uh, is, uh, if we look at many years back, we were sales-led uh, and still still are in some, some, some companies, some products. And by the way, I just want to establish that very early on, PLG is not the answer to everything. PLG, uh, product-led growth, is only um, effective in certain cases. But with sales-led, the sales people uh, go after opportunities. These opportunities, uh, when they discuss with potential customers, they will identify gaps. They will identify these, these uh, requirements that then inform what gets uh, added and how priorities are being defined in the product. As another uh, evolution, we see uh, marketing-led, uh, where marketing generate the demand. And the product is there to fulfill that demand. And therefore, the, the, uh, the action of fulfilling the demand is what informs the product priorities and, uh, and, and requirements. And with product-led, uh, which is where we are uh, now, the, the latest uh, evolution, um, we really have the product that is put out there. That means users can access it without necessarily, it doesn't mean there's no promotion. Promotion. It doesn't mean there's no sales team, but the, the users can get access to the product on their own. They can make their, they make up their own mind. And that feedback and uh, metrics based on the usage is what will now influence and uh, inform product decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, Follow-up question to that, uh, Joel. What would you say is product's role in, in PLG? I think product's role is not uh, very different than it is in other go-to-markets in the sense that product 
uh, product's responsibility is, is to build a product. Uh, what is very different is where the information and where the feedback uh, and where the inputs come from. With PLG, uh, it's going to uh, come to from, from the users. It's still gonna come from stakeholders, the sales team and marketing, but it's gonna be a different flavor. It's not going to be one-offs. It's gonna be more uh, a wider audience and it's gonna have to be processed a little bit differently. But once that, that input is in the product organization, the execution uh, uh, is not very different. Again, other with, there's always some caveats. Um, the, one of the differences is that there's a requirement for faster iterations and a requirement for faster and more robust experimentation. So it's less of, I know this requirement and I'm gonna go build it. It's more this requirement may come a thousand times or a hundred times. And based on that, priority decisions will be made. Mm -hmm. And Sandy, what, what would you say from a growth perspective? Um, what, what's your role in PLG? Like I think in terms of figuring out what is the next requirement to build or like how, you know, how to get access to your customers in terms of things that they want to see in their product. Like how, how do you see your role uh, come to be? Yeah. So I think um, growth can mean a lot of things. So growth can be focused on growth marketing. It could be focused on growth within the product. Um, and there's so many different inputs into growth, which I think, sets growth up really well for tackling the entire user journey. So you've got inputs from the marketing team, the product team, you know, engineering, user experience, customer success, all aligning on what is the user journey and really thinking about how does our product go uh, grow and how mm. does our product deliver value to the end user? And then thinking about all the ways that you can remove friction from that process and how do you optimize uh, those growth levers? Um, so I, I would say like a good example of where growth focuses a lot is on onboarding because that's kind of like the first impression that a user gets of your product. And that's usually where a lot of people have a lot of friction um, that can be optimized. So a growth team is really well suited to tackle onboarding. Um, another area where growth really focuses is also in product-led growth. Um, your product is really well suited to PLG if you can create some sort of network effect or virality. Mm -hmm. So growth teams often focus on what are those vectors for virality within the product or within you know, the, the, the funnel, um, whether it's at the top of the funnel or the middle of the funnel, where are those vectors for virality and, and how do we experiment with them? Awesome. And uh, when I had a chance to connect with you guys before, um, PLG wasn't something that you were doing before, if I recall. So I'm curious to know what, what made you realize that PLG is the way to go uh, for Charlie AI? Like what really sold you on it um, in terms of adopting it as a, as a path forward? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a really good question. From uh, uh, Charlie's perspective, we were solving a very widespread problem. Uh, we the problem being content is being scattered all over the place, which is very frustrating for teams for businesses to uh, to find the information, to deal with the information, manage it, share it, and work with it. Uh, so with that with that kind of problem, we saw that uh, we weren't going to be able to solve it by engaging with one-off 
customers, companies, and teams, mm -hmm. uh, we had to take a global approach. And, and especially being an AI product, uh, we need to have data that is uh, uh, over a very large sample of users and customers. So PLG is uh, an ideal candidate uh, to achieve that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. I would just, one thing I would add is also um, Charlie is uniquely a product. I think that needs to be tried in order for you to really understand what the value is. There are some products I think you can just explain what it does and how it solves a problem and people will get it and that's enough. Um, but I think if your product has any sort of like novel capabilities like we do with our conversational AI or you have intangible benefits, like um, I think uh, mental health products are probably a good counter example where you don't really get the benefit unless you try it. Um, just explaining to somebody that if you use better help or headspace will give them mental clarity is not enough to, you know, get them to make a purchase decision. I think you need to try it. So I think that's one of the other reasons why PLG felt like it made sense for us. Um, and I think also the economics. So, um, you know, if you've got a product where the annual contract value is millions and millions of dollars, you may not need to care about PLG. Um, but if you're tackling, like Joel said, a kind of like wide audience um, that spans SMB to mid mid-size to enterprise, and you're trying to kind of capture value across those, you need a, a go-to-market model that's not going to, you know, make you go bankrupt. <laughs> um, and I think PLG, because it focuses on product as your growth engine, you spend more money on R&D than you do on sales and marketing. And so the economics made more sense for us too. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing this. Um, Joel, a qu question for you and then Sandy, feel free to um, contribute. I want to know about the early days. So like um, you weren't that familiar with PLG. Um, you wanted to try it. You're like, okay, let's, let's do this. What was like the initial hurdles you had to overcome initially uh, when starting with a product led growth uh, a mindset? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really <laughs> that's that's the question where I have to be very humble about how I'm going to answer it because in the early days um, I, I I could I could invent an answer to say that uh, you know something uh, something glamorous, but the reality is uh, Sandy came to me one day and said uh, we have to become PLG, and the first thing I thought is. What is PLG? Uh, so, so that that was really that was really the starting point, and uh, and so then we we started to align, and I I quickly uh, really loved the idea. I really really resonated with me of, based on what we wanted to accomplish with the product with the company, uh, and so we started to look at uh, what options do we have because neither of us uh, had done it before. We come both from an enterprise. Uh, background. So the uh, the question was, should we hire somebody? Should we hire a consultant? Or should we go out there and try to educate ourselves? And we chose to go and educate ourselves. And the reason for that is being at a very early stage with a brand new product that um, we didn't want to be uh, a, uh, an, an iteration of an existing product. We wanted to be something different. Uh, we were, we were uh, uh, a little bit wary of having somebody joining the team this early with the right PLG experience, but 
maybe the wrong influence on what our strategy and our vision. So mm-hmm. we decided to uh, to go back to school for a bit and uh, uh, and learn the ropes. Okay, interesting. What what course did you take? Would you recommend it to other people? Yeah, we we took the uh, a, a course called uh, provided by a company called Reforge, um, and uh, definitely we would uh, we would recommend. Uh, to other people, there are a number of uh, of, of options out there. Uh, this one actually was extremely. I was extremely impressed because it was uh, really involving uh, industry. Exactly what we were looking for. People that had been there, done that. They were as guests on sessions for these these calls. Uh, this was all during the pandemic, so unfortunately, it was remote. Uh, moving forward, it will be uh, in person again. Uh, so very, very well worth the investment. Yeah, I would say um, Reforge was amazing to set the foundation, but it's like a constant thing. We're constantly learning things. Um, so I would say also it's good to be part of a PLG community. So um, Westbush and Ramley John, they have a community called uh, Product Led. Um, they have a summit every, I think, quarter. Um, which is a completely like digital event. Um, and there is a Slack group. So I've spent a lot of time going to that Slack group. And if I have a question, I ask it and uh, like 10 PLG experts from other companies or, you know, not even experts, just people who are doing it in the trenches with you, uh, you know, like, hey, we tried this and it worked or, hey, we tried this and actually that tool we use was terrible. Don't use it. Um, so I would highly encourage in addition to taking a course, joining a community. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about this is that uh, although it was a game changer for us, it's just the beginning. It's not a silver bullet. And uh, definitely uh, it, there's a lot of trial and error and, and learning as, as the, we embark on that journey. And also, depending on, how, on the maturity of the company and the product that uh, uh, you're trying to, uh, to bring to market with a PLG approach, um, the, the experience early on is extremely, extremely daunting. It's very hard to see leading indicators uh, at, this, at this point. And so it may seem a little bit overwhelming because you've learned what it's supposed to look like, and then it doesn't quite look like that in the, in the early days. Perfect segue to my next question. So like you, you took the course, you did the learning, you got familiar with it, and now you got to take that practice into reality um, and actually start, you know, figuring out what those indicators are that you, uh, you're trying to figure out. So what, what were some of your most challenging obstacles that you had to overcome um, and how did you solve them? Yeah, that's, for I think the way the way Sandy and I see it is that uh, the uh, the most difficult is the zero to a thousand users, right? Because uh, the first hundred you can have uh, people you know you can you can have people that will give you a chance and and uh, uh, but really to get to gain that traction is uh, is extremely uh, uh, difficult and. One of the, uh, the, the, in the early days, what is really daunting is when you know that a product is not necessarily ready, but you have to learn very quickly. So you need mm-hmm. to put it out there. Um, we talked to many, many, uh, so w- through the PLG process, obviously uh, people start to sign up. Early on, they were uh, signing up not to try the product right away because it was not ready. 
but they were signing up for an onboarding session. So there was a lot of handholding going on. But to, to talk to people when you open up to a product and you get them to try it when it's not ready is very painful. It's wow. very, very, it, it's because you, you want to get the feedback to know what we're going to add next. Um, but we're also exposing ourselves, knowing what, what we're missing. And so in a traditional approach uh, with uh, uh, an enterprise approach, you define a number of requirements, you define the functionality, you go build the entire thing, you make sure it's tested, ready to go, and then you go and launch it, right? So with, with PLG, there's no, there's no time for this. Uh, you need to be uh, starting with as soon as possible, uh, putting the product product out there, even though you know people will call your baby ugly, and uh, uh, and so so th this is this is what we uh, we definitely faced early on, and then slowly we start getting into the second phase of of this uh, uh, this process, which is now that uh, we we know uh, what our vision is, we know the major iterations that need uh, to take place. Uh, we can start making that decision. At what point do we start optimizing versus doing another major iteration? So to me, uh, from a product perspective, um, PLG was a game changer because uh, yes, there are other frameworks that talk about fast iterations, but here it's not only as a, as a product requirement discovery, it's the entire organization. So it includes the top of the funnel. It includes the uh, uh, the promotion, the messaging, uh, and so so the the second big obstacle is to find that uh, that get to that product market fit uh, where you know that you're going to start being able to optimize. If you optimize too early, what happens is that you're going to reach a local maximum, right? It's uh, you, you're going to get to something that is is super optimized, but maybe not the right overall. Um, uh, product. And so users will not tell you what they need. They will tell you uh, if you put something in front of them, they'll say if they like it or not. So that that's really challenging to make the difference between the two. And the last thing is uh, the notion of a leaky bucket. Um, because now that you start getting some traction and adding a lot of, uh, a lot of signups, you realize that people come in and they, they leave as quickly as they came in uh, because there are, again, once again, it's, this is all a process, right? Expecting an overnight success is, uh, uh, is, is, is the wrong approach. So to be able to understand that um, uh, the bucket is leaky and therefore before adding more water into it, let's, uh, let's start um, uh, making sure we don't need to fix all the problems, but making sure that uh, some of these issues are addressed and then, then we can start going to the next level. I think um, uh, just to add to that on that leaky bucket point in, in particular, that was also a challenge in setting the right expectations with our investors and our, our leadership team. So, you know, there's this desire to focus on some of these vanity metrics early on, like meet we need to see like really quick user growth. And so that's the challenge is setting the expectation correctly that, you know, PLG is a bit of a slow burn, especially in the early days. It's not going to just go whoosh up into the sky. Um, you're, you're, and, you know, if you're a sales and marketing led organization or you come from that world, 
it's very rare that you're even thinking about the leaky bucket. Like you don't necessarily think about activation. You're just thinking about like, let's stuff leads into the funnel. Let's convert them. Let's have the conversations. Um, but when you're in a product led motion and you have to worry about if I'm spending dollars at the top of the funnel and they don't ever activate in my product, they never experience value, then I just wasted a bunch of money. So getting alignment and understanding and setting that expectation was definitely, um, I wouldn't say a huge challenge for us because it, like our leadership team understood it really quickly. I would say like explaining it to our investors maybe took a little bit longer, but take the time to do that if I could give advice to people, like set those expectations early. Uh, that's, um, I had to set a thought uh, to what Joel was saying. Like, I think a lot of founders, a lot of leadership, like C-suite individuals, unclear, unsure of when they ship a product or whether it's, a, whether it's in a shippable worthy state, right? Um, there's a, was that fear it's like oh it's gonna look break or whatever how did you mentally convince or, or how did you mentally first overcome this challenge but who's working on this product um and as well as they might be uh probably experiencing not the most positive responses or you know the metrics are showing a lot of um in activity or a lot of drop-offs how did you from like a coaching or from like a entering perspective get this approach and mindset pushed out across the whole organization so that everybody was unified around the longer plan i guess i think uh, as uh, sandy uh, mentioned the the reason why to, to do it is uh, it, it's a process uh, we we launched uh, uh, over a year after we started and so even at that point we launched as a beta program right and so early on we had a private beta mm -hmm. where we were uh, doing a white glove onboarding as we as we call it uh, and then, and then we decided to go and go to a public beta where uh, there was the ability for users to sign up from our website. Um, it was extremely difficult to make that decision. Not only to make the decision should we do it or not, but the second decision was when should we do it. By the time we got to that that decision point, I think that the entire company was already bought in into the approach. They were bought in into the fact that waiting um, to, to launch was waiting to learn, was going to be postponing the entire progress. And so with that in mind, there was a common uh, agreement that we should be able to, we should launch as soon as possible. Uh, but then we defined some, some, uh, some, some um, I would say metrics or not necessarily metrics, but some some uh, some points that we wanted to make sure some criteria that we wanted to make sure would be met with this this launch and 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 they were pretty basic criteria it was for example if uh if if hundreds of people sign up all at the same time what will happen so we had to think about our uh infrastructure right is the infrastructure ready for that so that was the first thing yeah okay once we decided we're ready with the infrastructure we said that's that's a go the second thing was we wanted to get the uh, the view from 
our users that we were onboarding with White Glove. And we did that transition before we went to the, uh, the public beta. And in fact, we had the, what we went public with was um, uh, quite different than what we had in the early days. And we gathered all the feedback from uh, these, these sessions that we had to inform what we were going to have. And so then the second decision was, are we ready with this new uh, version to, uh, uh, to, to, go, to go public? And, and uh, to be completely transparent, uh, uh, just uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before, before the date that we had set, uh, we simply met as a leadership team and, okay. uh, and had a go-no-go uh, meeting. And we decided, let's go. And it was from that point on, we never looked back. Uh, it was very extremely uh, unnerving, but also extremely exciting. The team was uh, uh, very excited that uh, people were going to be able to, to start signing up. Um, we had uh, uh, the, the perfect uh, result on, on the first day with not too many signups, but not too few. So it, it turned out to be a, a very good experience, um, but, but a, a really good question. We had, we had to summarize the entire company bought in before, before we decided to make the leap. Fantastic. No, that's, that's great to hear. It's not that many stories talked about this type of success before. So thank you. Um, uh, question for you, Sandy. Now that you've um, and the team have been successfully been pushing the whole PLG agenda and it's been showing promise. Looking back now in time, what do you wish you had done differently or what, what do you wish you would have done more of now that you know what you know now? That's a good question. Um, one thing I would actually, it would flip it. What, what are some of the things I would have done less? Um, okay. So with PLG comes this notion of a rapid experimentation iteration, like Joel mentioned. Um, and I think it's really, we, we, for a little time there, fell into a bit of a trap of experimenting for experimentation's sake. And, you know, an experiment is only as good as the, the objective you're trying to achieve and the parameters you set for the experiment. And there are some things that are just not worth experimenting with. Like if the, uh, the impact is so low to the user, do you really need to run an experiment in order to find out? And I think we got wrapped up in this experimentation framework that we we're really excited about. We we're collecting all this data and we wanted to utilize it. And we were maybe experimenting for the sake of experimenting instead of actually trying to drive towards our outcomes. And frankly, you know, going with our gut on some things that we knew were going to be impactful. Instead, we were diluting it with these experiments and then iterating it to death. Um, I would also say, um, I so one thing I would say do more of is talk to people, talk to your users. Don't just rely on the data, but on the flip side of that, um, don't always have a knee-jerk re response to that user feedback or that user behavior. And I think um, going through that white glove onboarding process, it, we, we started responding really quickly to user feedback, which was necessary in the moment um, because we needed to get to that first like viable product that we could put out there for everyone to see. But at a certain point, um, once the amount of feedback you start getting is so vast from such a wide audience, if your knee-jerk response is to immediately jump on all that feedback, 
you actually start spinning out of control a little bit. And um, so we kind of were carrying that white glove onboarding feedback mentality a little too far. And at a certain point, we have to be like, you know what, we got to stop this and focus more on the vision. Um, uh, and then one other thing I would say is in a product led motion, because you are, you know, you're thinking about product first, you would think that the goal is like, you just want to get someone quickly to a conversion, get them to see your product as quickly as possible. And actually one thing I learned um, now looking back is we probably over indexed on that. We're throwing people into the product too quickly, whereas some people needed more upfront education. Um, so, you know, just because you have a freemium product, I would just, I would say, don't fall into the trap of over indexing on that conversion because you might be sending like really low intent users who don't know anything about your product, don't know what the expectation should be. And then they get into your product expectations aren't met and then they immediately churn. What would you say is a good balance between throwing a user right into your product and then still educating them? Like how much time? Cause like onboarding and educating a customer is a very lengthy, complicated process and times. And so like, it's a fine balance. What would you say is like the minimum criteria you should consider? Yeah. So actually there's, there's two exercises I would say you should go through. Um, one is map out all the steps in your, in your funnel from like the first touch point, whether it's an ad or a blog post, like whatever they see to interact with your brand all the way to the, that, um, moment that they get, uh, activated in your product, map out all the steps. And, um, this is actually from Ramley John, who just wrote this great book on user onboarding and in, in product led growth companies. Um, and then map that out. And then with your team, go and mark them as uh, red, yellow, or green. So is this something um, green is must have, yellow is need it or want it, but can be delayed. And then red is, this is just unnecessary friction. So do that process and then see what your ideal state of your onboarding flow is. Um, and then I would say the other framework we applied is from Reforge. So it's the user psychology framework. And I think um, uh, this guy called Darius Co Contractor, who now runs growth at Airtable, um, came up with this. Um, and it's about understanding how much positive psychology you're giving a user through your onboarding flow and how much negative. So anytime you give them a form, that's like minus five points. Um, anytime you give them value, it's like plus five or plus 10. Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's, I think how you find the balance it's, there's no like one size fits all, but I think if you run through those two processes, as we did, you start to understand, like, if I'm going to ask for something, I need to give the user something back in the process so that they stick around. And if I ask for three things in a row and then don't pay it off, that user is going to drop off hundred percent of the time. And, and you mentioned, I think previously about uh, don't get too absorbed in the data, you know, go and speak to your customers at the same time to hear what they're saying, yeah. to cross-reference the data. Um, now that you've gone through that process uh, and you've learned what kind of data, you know, is good or versus bad or whatnot, going forward, what data are you actually tracking that is of value to you that you can make decisions on? Um, in the future? Yeah, so 
There's a number of things and I kind of break them into two categories. So there's the, the SaaS metrics that you need to track if you want to be a great product-led company. And then there's the, the metrics that are unique to your organization and your objectives and your vision. So at Charlie, we are a unified workspace for your content. And we're trying to, and we're applying AI to that process. So naturally for us, um, the way that users get value is by getting access to all of their content and learn, getting more out of their content than they are today. And so when we first started, we were thinking like the metrics we should be tracking are user growth related, like what are user stats, revenue, um, you know, weekly active users, daily active users, monthly active users. And those are all important, but I would put them into the just regular SaaS. You should be doing that bucket. What you need to think about is how do users get value from your product and then turn that into a metric. So for us, it's, you need to have a lot of content in Charlie in order to get value. So we need to track how much content does a user put into Charlie on their first day, on their seventh day, on their 14th day, and then all time. And then we want to track constantly how much content under management Charlie has. So that became our, our North Star metric. And we wouldn't have really discovered that until we really thought critically about what are the value drivers in our, in our product and what is that moment we're trying to get users to, the aha moment. And the mm -hmm. ultimate aha moment was once you have a critical mass of content in Charlie, you realize uh, that you're more productive, you're able to find things quickly. So how do we do that? We need to drive them to add more content consistently. So through our onboarding process, what are we gonna tweak? We wanna make it easier for you to on, uh, add content. So removing friction from that part of the process um, was, you really, I mean, it's still important to us. We, that, that's probably like the next five growth experiments we're working on are just reducing friction and adding content into Charlie. Um, on the product-led side of things, the, the metrics that we're tracking that are hugely critical are activation rate. Like there's a bunch of others, but I would say activation rate is the number one thing you should be thinking about. And that ties back to value. So how do users get value in your product and measuring that in your product? So if 100 people sign up, how many of them experience that core value that you're trying to get them to experience? Um, and you know, ours went through a bunch of iterations, like I said. So come up with three or four, test them. And another way to look at it, like you said, is go talk to people. So it's not always about the data, but um, go and talk to users that you know seem to love your product, but you don't know why, and ask them why, and ask them how they, they felt about onboarding. When was the moment where they were like, oh, this is working, I'm going to stick with it and then work backwards from there to, you know, come up with some sort of quantitative metric. Awesome. Joel, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, no, I, I, I totally agree. I couldn't agree more actually. And I, I wanted to simply say that uh, along those metrics that are really, really key that are value of the product. Another example is um, uh, Charlie is, a, is an AI content uh, assistant. And so there are situations where uh, Charlie will come back and clarify um, a, a user request. And so the, the, uh, the simple 
mind sh mindset shift of measuring this type of, of metrics versus simply how many users signed up today is actually critical from a product perspective because now we know if, uh, if there's an improvement on the fact that uh, uh, users need to clarify less and less, that means Charlie has learned more and more about that user preferences and, and, and needs. And so that's, that's a much more important metric to see that number go up rather than seeing the user number go up. And so uh, for us, that was a bit of the journey to get to the point where we measure what matters. And, uh, and, and as we start influencing those uh, metrics that are really core to our product, other metrics that are uh, important to, to any, any uh, PLG and SaaS businesses, as, as Sandy mentioned, will, will then um, uh, go in the right direction. Awesome. Okay, we're coming close to the 40-minute the, the mark and I'm going to be opening up uh, uh, Q&A questions. So for the attendees, feel free to start putting in your questions in the Q&A or in just the comments, the chat. I, I could see those and then I'll, I'll ask those questions to our guests. Um, before I do that, I do have one, maybe two final questions to ask and then we'll, we'll, we'll kick it off to the Q&A. Um, I want to ask, with your experience coming from the enterprise space, um, I think both of you, you know, have experience in that realm. Um, how would you go about selling PLG, uh, which is a obviously a major change that would be required within any organization to upper management, if you had to go do it again at a completely different organization, and what benefits would you really highlight? Yeah, I think the the starting point is to establish why why PLG is needed for a particular organization. Um, because as I mentioned earlier, it's not always the answer. PLG is not always the answer. And so that's the first thing to focus on uh, selling to a company, a leadership team. And then from there to focus on not, not necessarily saying, if we implement PLG, our existing metrics, revenue, users will uh, go up by a certain percentage. Uh, it's to really put in some very um, uh, realistic expectations and understand uh, the motive, motivations behind uh, uh, improving certain aspects. Um, so uh, so that, that's really important because, as we mentioned earlier, it's a journey. And it took us... We started early on, so we didn't have any um, uh, former processes to deal with, which made it a lot easier. But when there is a, a, a more mature situation, what will happen is uh, the leadership team will be extremely impatient. Uh, they'll say, yeah, we'll try that for a while if you, if you manage to convince them. And then they'll want to know, okay, by a certain date, I want to see that this is going in the right direction. Is it or is it not? Um, and so that that's probably the biggest obstacle in, in, in my mind. Is that uh, aside from that, I think that's really key. But w what other kind of reasons do you think? Uh, why do you think people fail uh, with PLG? I think it goes back to that misunderstanding of what product led growth is all about. So not having a clear understanding of the kind of shift it is within an organization. Um, it's a, what I've seen actually is PLG kind of like gets incubated as part of either a product team's charter or 
uh, product marketing or marketing teams charter mm -hmm. or growth team. Um, and it, and it tr quickly turns into, this is like, you know, they're just optimizing stuff like optimization shop. Um, instead of thinking about it as I think quite a broad change within the strategy of a company to respond to changing behaviors in the market. Um, the reason PLG has catapulted so many companies to, you know, being hugely valuable. Um, if you look at like the, the SaaS IPOs that are PLG companies versus those that aren't like the, the multiple is huge. Um, the reason why that is, is because they're thinking about, about it um, holistically as a, like we are all in on this and not just we're kind of incubating this as like a freemium or a free trial, like everyone has bought into it. Um, mm -hmm. So not just doing it at the surface, but really internalizing it. And um, I think it makes for a better culture. It makes for a better product because you're forced to work collaboratively and you're focused more on the thing that matters. Like you're focused on R&D and innovation in the product and not just like, you know, selling uh, stories. I think selling stories is still important, by the way. Like you got to have a good story. You've got to have a good vision. You've got to have good positioning. But then you got to back it up because consumers are are more uh, they're smarter than ever and they can like see through the bullshit really easily. And so companies that are just kind of doing product led growth at the surface, like people can see through it because the expectation doesn't meet reality. Um, so you got to really put your money where your mouth is and and come to the table with a product that really does delight the user. Um, and if you don't do that, then yeah, you're, you're going to fail at PLG. Cool. Cool. Okay. Thank you, Sandy. I got some questions that, uh, are coming in some direct, some, some more public. So I'll, uh, I'll switch it over to Q and a. Okay. Ready? Yeah. So, uh, the first one I want to ask is, um, from Sarah. So how does your PLG model deal with churn? Um, can I ask a, a clarifying question? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, like, so, I mean, churn is something that all SaaS companies deal with. Um, from a PLG perspective, I don't know if we deal with it any differently. Um, I guess that's not my, my clarifying question. It's more like a statement. I don't think it's, it's dealt with differently um, unless you're asking something more specific. Broadly, I would say, one thing that in the product-led model that I've come to see is uh, you're scrutinizing your churn a little bit differently. So thinking about how, like in, in my old life, I would have thought churn is because, you know, the product didn't satisfy that user's needs. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, that's a product problem. <laughs> um, in the PLG context, that's not just a product problem. That could be because... Uh, at the top of the funnel, we sent the wrong kinds of people into the product, or we didn't do enough education upfront, or there's a number of things. So it's more thinking about how all of the pieces are interconnected into churn and less about, well, they churned because they didn't like the product. And so we got to make a better product. And it's just as simple as that. Yeah, I would, I would add to it that uh, it's really we, we talk about growth teams versus product teams mm -hmm. and with the PLG. And also we have our own opinion on what, uh, 
what it should look like. In, in our view, it's really important that there aren't these silos of product and, and growth. And Sandy, you mentioned that uh, you would, uh, uh, there, there, there would be some, some quick things. I, I would think from a product perspective that if acquisition is not where it needs to be, that's a growth problem. If uh, um, churn is where it needs to be, it's a product problem. And it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Because the, the way the PLG framework helps with these issues is that now you've got a lot more people to the table to solve these problems. Uh, and so uh, we, we actually see that quite a bit. We immediately tend to think about a complex solution to a churn problem. Uh, we immediately think about adding more features. We immediately think about uh, uh, improving certain capabilities, whereas sometimes a simple copy change uh, at the top of the funnel or in the product or uh, anywhere in the, in the life cycle or in, in the process will make a huge impact. Uh, and that's that's what we're learning through through this process. We 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 seem to be more and more, and we're still very much, of course, on the journey. We're learning every day, but uh, we we start seeing these problems in a very different light. So that that's what is to me a huge a huge value and and, and improvement. Yeah, I think really uh, you nailed it. I think alignment between growth, product, marketing, any any team department around the PLG model is is a sure way for success because you need everybody to be aligned and unified in terms of uh, all the problems and all the solutions that you do together. Um, two more questions I, I have. Um, one of them is um, in your experiments. What are your success metrics? So we talked about experience before, Sandy. So I think the question is, what were your definitions for success metrics around your experiments? Uh, or how should you go about to thinking about success metrics when you're doing experiments? Yeah, so I think um, with experiments, you need to come up with a clear hypothesis for what you believe is going to happen. And, and so um, an example of that would be we believe that um, users are experiencing friction when they're trying to upload content into Charlie. Um, and we believe we can fix it by doing X, Y, Z. And so that's your formulating your hypothesis. Then you need to list out like, here are all my assumptions about what's going to happen. Um, and then I would say you need to choose a primary metric that you're trying to move. So based on this, I would say my primary metric is the number of pieces of content a user uploads on their first day using Charlie. Mm -hmm. um, but then this is an important thing about the experimentation framework is you're normally not just impacting one metric, you might be impacting several. So you can't list all of them. I would just say pick a primary metric and then think about what is this going to impact downstream? So if I can get a user to upload a ton of content on their first day, my hypothesis is that that user will stick around longer. So my secondary metric is retention. So can I improve the 30-day retention of that user by mm -hmm. having them do the right thing on their first day? Excellent. Okay, great. Thank you for that answer, Sandy. Um, last one, and then maybe we'll have time for one quick fire question is uh, from Ian, his question is, how did you acquire your beta users customers, probably initially? 
there was a few things and I'll, I'll let Joel speak to this as well. Um, so we, there's like a few models, I would say actually in, in product led growth circles that seem to work. So there's, if you want to be an exclusive product and you want people to get excited, you, you start a wait list. Um, so we tried that one and it was, it was a decent channel. It wasn't our best channel. Um, another method is to go to early adopter communities like product hunt or, um, beta list and, and try and get those people that, you know, are tinkerers and they like playing with new products and, and go find your early customers there. Um, and then I would say, you know, our most successful was something that's totally unscalable. It's like calling all of your networking contacts, um, your previous colleagues, people that you can trust, um, and literally sometimes actually calling them um, and getting them to sign up for your beta and, and try it and give you that feedback. So I would say those were, those were the three channels we started with and then um, kind of, you know, started experimenting after that, then looking at paid channels, um, content and search, and, you know, also doing webinars and things like this to get the word out, just building brand awareness. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything to add. Just something to highlight is the, uh, the, the, the fact that do the things that are unscalable. Uh, <laughs> again, it's, it's, yeah. it's really, it's really what, what matters because uh, again, we have that preconceived idea, especially for Sandy and I getting into this uh, without real world experience. We think we're going to apply all of these great uh, uh, techniques and that, uh, and, and that people will, will uh, jump and come and join our, our beta program. It doesn't really work that way immediately. So the unscalable aspect is, uh, is what, uh, uh, what, what gets things going. And, and there's unbelievable learning at that point. And then it's such a satisfaction when you realize that you don't need to do the unscalable thing anymore, that things starting to, uh, uh, to, to run on their own. Very cool. No, that's, uh, I'm a huge fan of the do things that don't scale approach towards any aspect of any business. So I'm glad you brought that one up. Thank you. Um, last question. It's more from my end. It's a quick fire question. And then we'll, I think we'll wrap it up at that point. Um, my question is to maybe the both of you, if you could give it a response is what is like the one piece of advice you would give product leaders uh, to help them work better with growth leaders on implementing PLG? Well, I'll, I'll answer that question by, uh, uh, by telling a little story. Um, we, when we first talked about this uh, webinar, um, it was supposed to be a webinar about product management and uh, uh, best practices and learnings. And I remember that Sandy and I got on the call and it was one of those things, very initial call. I didn't really think through it very much. I was uh, ready to start the conversation. And when, when the, uh, the first question came in that, uh, in that preparation of uh, let us know about how, how are things around product management at Charlie AI, I immediately thought, well, wait a minute, I can't answer that question. This, is, this doesn't make any sense at Charlie AI. We're a product-led growth company. Therefore, hey, Sandy, uh, this is both you and I, not just one of us. Um, and so th that's really, that really hit me like a ton of brick that to be successful, 
it's really uh, it has to be a partnership between uh, the, uh, the the growth leader and the product leader. Uh, it can't be just uh, two teams that that work together once in a while. It has to be a strong partnership, and uh, this is where the product from a product uh, lead. That what I would give as an advice is. Uh, make sure you walk in the shoes of, uh, uh, of, of marketing and growth and understand what the challenges are on, on that side, because I've been, I've been in, in leadership roles in products for many, many years, but in a different capacity. I always felt like um, the product marketing team was, uh, was providing support for very specific aspects of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, uh, and in, I don't see it that way at all. I, I see that as my responsibility as well. I'm not the expert at it. Sandy is uh, way more qualified, uh, but I, I really wanna have these discussions as partners. I would say- Yeah, go ahead talk often like one of the key things early on and i've actually spoken to a few other folks in uh, in SaaS companies who are trying to do product led and they're like how do i get closer to the product team and i think it's just you know you gotta rip the band-aid off and just say hey you and i we're gonna meet every single day for the next two weeks we're gonna like have a 15 minute sync every single day for a while because there was a while where joel and i were talking every single day every single day Um, and you know, those are the types of things that eventually get you to like this point where now we're so in sync and have this really close partnership where we know where our areas of expertise are, where we can fill the gaps for one another. Um, and you know, that's how you, I think are successful is if you can form those close relationships. Amazing. Okay. Well, I think we're at time here. Uh, Joel, Sandy, thank you so so much for joining us today on our live webinar and uh, sharing all this great information with us on plg so thank you thank you so much for having us it was really great and uh we hope uh some of our experiences help some other folks on this call navigate their journey awesome and for uh thank you everybody who joined today and uh listened to us speak um make sure you follow us on linkedin or connect with me directly Uh, for any more product-focused content. So until, until next time, 